Hello, and welcome to the latest Rosenfeld Review Podcast. I'm Lou Rosenfeld. I'm here with Ellie Wu. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Lou. Great to have you on the show. Ellie is a um, person who, like many of us, has kind of twisted and turned uh, career-wise, starting off as a uh, a computer engineer, and uh, that's her academic background. And uh, she's worked at uh, a lot of client-facing uh, uh, roles, uh, places like Texas Instruments and New York Life uh, and Smartsheet. And nowadays, um, among other things, she is the um, Senior Director of Customer Success at SAP Concur. So a customer success person. She does some other things. We'll get to those in a moment. But uh, one reason I know about her is... Um, we were connected by Lada Gorlenko, who's one of the curators at Enterprise Experience. Uh, and uh, uh, long story short is we are changing Enterprise Experience pretty dramatically uh, and in some really great ways. Uh, you may know the conference by its former name, Enterprise UX. Uh, we dropped the user, but we still care about the user. But we wanted a more inclusive name that was going to bring people into the programming process, uh, uh, and ultimately into the uh, audience from uh, other functions that care about and have a role in delivering great enterprise experiences. So that's areas like product and engineering and uh, customer experience and customer success. So we're going to talk a little bit about how customer success plays a role in enterprises and how um, it can uh, uh be a um, great partner with UX people and, and other functions in the enterprise. And I, I can't really think of a better person than Ellie to talk with about this. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to get into it. Well, and, you know, not surprisingly, uh, you're a connector. Uh, I know you're uh, deeply involved with uh, TEDx uh, Seattle and uh, uh, TED Women. Um, and uh, talk a little bit about that before we get into the customer success side, or maybe there's some kind of clever way you can marry those two threads. Yes, so I would say that a thread that actually led me from my engineering path through sales into where I am today is really that fascination of finding out what you don't know and always making sure that you're asking questions and along the way to make those connections for people to one another or for people to ideas. And when you think about what can happen when we foster these environments, that's really where innovation happens, right? Challenging one another, being able to see things from different perspectives. And so that's always really been the driving force about the creativity that comes from curiosity. So, you you know, so Ted has played obviously a a role as a a good outlet or channel for you to do that work. You want to Tell us a little bit about the specific work you're doing with TED. Yes, so uh, being part of the TEDx Seattle community allows me to bring these ideas into what we really want to impact within each community. And that allows connecting folks that might not otherwise know each other but have a shared passion and they want to do something or learn something more, more deeply. And so what I do is we have these annual events, but between these annual events, there's all this time that goes by and people are always saying, you know, the one wish that I had that I did more between last year's event and this year's event was that I wish I did something, but I took action. And so creating these 
events either through TEDx Seattle Women or the salons or the adventures to be able to have people take action, even if it's a small step, but it's a step, right? And to get them connected to one another because it's easier to take action if you actually know what to do and if you don't have to do it alone. Absolutely. Now, now with TED Women, is it TEDx Women or TED Women? So there's a TED, so there's the Mothership TED, and then there's the TEDx communities within different cities. Yes, so TED Women is the annual um, event hosted by Mothership TED, and it brings together really the focus is on areas that we as women are looking to achieve. So this past November, it was about showing up, right? And so there were some phenomenal speakers, including um, a woman from Thailand who was using landscape architecture to prevent flooding in Thailand, which now people in Venice are also looking at. We also had Stacey Abrams come in to talk about how do you move past failure. Um, we also had folks like Carla Harris come in and talk about sponsorship. But it was, it was a really interesting because we actually had speakers come in to talk about how helping women can actually connect the dots to then improving things within the environment. So more accessibility to those in the third world um, to bring up the same, uh, let's see, I think funding, technology could then create like a 3% increase in output for any farming that was women-led. And then that would then mean this for the community, which could then mean this for the planet. And are, are you finding that there are uh, some specific things that um, uh, women who speak at events need um, uh, help with that, that, TED, that TED Women is uh, doing? Is it any, anything in terms of, you know, support? Uh, I mean, like, there's a lot of people that... Um, you know, aren't really getting the support or the permission in some cases to really kind of get out there and speak and do other things in the professional context. So I wonder if that's something that TED Women is, uh, is addressing for, for women. I thought what was really unique was the purposeful inclusion of male speakers and also male attendees at TED Women. Oh. And, and also making sure that we're not making it exclusive but more inviting a conversation okay interesting um and so you know uh, in the spirit of inclusion we're we're uh you know changing the curation model uh to as i mentioned for enterprise experience to include people from engineering and cx and product and 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 uh certainly yourself as someone who uh, has that experience uh and represents customer success Give us something of a, a bottom line of what customer success is defined as being. Like, what if you're a customer success person? What does your day look like as a practitioner, at least? Oh my goodness, this is this is such a loaded question because it's it's one of those words that's become ubiquitous. It seems like it's showing up everywhere. It can be more confusing than helpful sometimes for people to say I'm in customer success. And having worked with hypergrowth startups all the way to larger organizations. Customer success within a startup could really be, I am a support person, right? Because I need to be able to fix something short of my customer having somebody else to go to. They happen to have my contact information and I care, so I'm going to help them fix this. Um, that could also be repurposed, I've seen, as somebody who's an account management function 
but they don't actually want to say that they're account management because it sounds too salesy. Mm -hmm. And so then they slap a label of customer success on it. The way that I think we really need to start talking about customer success is the what we're helping our customers achieve, right? Using customer success as a discipline to help define what's possible for our customers and actually showing them a path forward to that. That includes working with our customers, but it also includes being their advocate internally or even challenging each other internally for the processes we have in place or the habits that we've built up over the course of maybe it could be five years that the company's been around or 25 years or longer than that. So when, when we're thinking about customer success, I think it's great to always ask, so tell me a little bit about what that means in your organization before we make assumptions that it means what we've seen. It's interesting. It, it sounds like, you know, there's certainly some parallels with UX in the sense that, you know, how you would define it with a blank sheet of paper, mm-hmm. if you could, would be probably a little different than how it's actually done right now, which has to accommodate existing practices that may have been around for decades. So, you know, I imagine, for example, that um, a lot of customer success leaders are suddenly uh, working uh, with call centers, or maybe, maybe they come out of call centers. And I don't know if that's a bad thing or not, but it may, it may be that like, something like that gets too closely associated with customer success. And then it can't, then the new discipline can't really emerge on its own because it's like, Oh, we've got to pull these things that already exist together. It doesn't give it enough room to breathe and grow and it becomes something greater than the parts. Yeah. And something I, I think that is similarly happening in two of our industries is you see so often people putting UX UI together. Like it, like it can't live separately, but those who actually more understand the nuances, you can't put somebody within UI experience right into UX and just, you know, say good luck, right? They are different, but from the outside, it's, I don't think everyone understands how specialized everything's become and how nuanced everything has become, even when it comes to customer experience versus customer success. And I think without the right space guidance, clarity, conviction of what it can be and should be, the organizations are going to end up in situations where instead of a truly proactive, helpful, engaging customer success department for your customers, if you end up with somebody who has that call center experience and tries to replicate those metrics, those habits within customer success, you're going to have people answering a bunch of emails and closing out a bunch of quote unquote tickets but the, nobody ever usually will say, oh, that was a great customer service experience because we're still looking to solve that on a grander scale, which would more fall under customer experience than customer success. So lots of blur, right? I mean, whether you're talking about <laughs> yeah. it uh, in terms of theory or practice, mm-hmm. uh, which is okay. I mean, because maybe that's the... the in that ambiguities where you get the space for a practice to breathe and grow. Um, but why don't, why don't we take it to the level though of metrics? You mentioned metrics a moment ago. Mm-hmm. What might be a few metrics that are, are common to, to most organizations when it comes to customer success and, and how might they be different from, let's say the, the you know metrics in CX or UX? Yeah. So 
quickly before I get into the metrics, the other piece why I think it's really great we're having these conversations and why I'm so excited about the pivot that we're taking with enterprise experience is because we can't have these conversations alone and preaching to each other's choirs, right? We need to get outside and solve this across our different groups so that when one person may make an assumption, we have more than just our group saying, no, no, that's actually not what it is. And this is how we work with them a little bit differently. So, um, so I just wanted to make that quick note before moving into metrics, which is, oh my gosh, I think that's the other very loaded question, especially this time of year when we're looking at what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Some of the metrics that I've seen coming up that are interesting, and again, it goes back to what does customer success mean? in your organization? What's the goal that you're trying to achieve? What's the problem you're solving for? And when we take a look at that, the metrics could be, um, what's the growth rate that you're seeing within your customers? It could also be, how many new opportunities are you opening up for the sales team as a lead generator? Which, mm-hmm. you know, the, the jury's out on that one, right? There's two different schools of thought. Um, there's also the folks who say we should compensate similar with some bonus structure that you see from a sales perspective, they're not the same ratio. And so from that regard, there's some of those different metrics that are associated of how many users are you adding or what's the utilization within each account. Um, We have to just be very cautious about whatever metrics we create that it's driving the right behaviors. Now within customer experience, a popular one is NPS, right? And it's this ambiguous net promoter score that could either be anchored or not anchored. And, you know, when you try to take it and apply it towards something and then you ask the actual users what they meant by the rating, it doesn't always translate. And so that's an evolving practice of how do we look at NPS? How do we phrase the questions? How do we guide the users in the right way? And let's not forget the global aspect of it, right? In some, in some places, one is better than five. And You know, in other places, five is better than one. And so to be able to have those understandings of meeting our customers where they are to ask them the question that will provide us with the most meaningful feedback. I think that's, um, we can't be afraid of the metrics and having the metrics guide us and have us then tailor our processes around what we're trying to guide for the metrics. But if we start with what's the problem we're solving for, what's the outcome we hope to achieve, I think we can then sit down, not just with our team, but also our peers in different teams to say, what metrics make sense for all of us to now start looking at so we're all kind of rowing in the same direction? Well, you know, one of the things that was really interesting uh, as you started to answer my loaded question, sorry about all this. <laughs> um, That's okay. It's my job. Um, you were, you know, talking about with almost like a little bit of hesitation in your voice. Uh, uh, metrics that may smack too much of sales, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine that's an issue both in, in customer success and, and CX, certainly in UX as well. Um, the last day or two, I've been writing up um, a, a, a document for Rosenfeld Media authors, for new authors. We just signed a whole bunch of new authors. Congratulations. Thank you. And I got to stop just t- talking to them and I got to start capturing information for them and giving it to them in writing, you know, ironically. Uh, and, and what I'm writing about for them is how the research that they do in developing their content while they're writing, mm-hmm. whether it's doing surveys of a broad 
community that, that intersects with their hope for audience or talking to people who are subject matter experts or, or industry influencers. You know, those are all ways to get your content better, but it, they're also ways to engage with people who will promote the work mm -hmm. and, and support it and, and hopefully drive sales. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, because you're making lots of people in large and small ways stakeholders in the outcome, namely the book. Mm -hmm. They feel like they've had an impact on it. They had a connection to the ideas as they were shaped. And I have that same sort of hesitation as I'm writing about this, like, well, research is good, but, but anything smacking of, of business development or commercialism in general is bad. And I have to catch myself. But I, I do think there's like a, a, a whole way of framing the work that we all do in all these customer and user facing domains that is, is, is it's only about engagement, like fair, reasonable, honest engagement. And it's not pushing, it's, it's, it's truly two way street, truly going back and forth and, and giving as well as getting. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I don't know if there's much more to say about it other than I feel like there's so many interesting parallels, even between my little, world of UX book publishing and, and what folks uh, like you guys may be doing at SAP when it comes to things like customer success. Yeah, and I don't want sales to get a bad rap, right? And part of this, I, I come from the sales world, so I think I understand it a bit more intimately than some of the other folks in our space. I think too often people are like, you know, if, if there's a bad deal that comes through, they'll be like, oh, well, sales is just trying to meet their quota. Mm -hmm. There's so many elements of sales that drive a business. They're the fuel. I mean, if there's, if there's no customers, there's nothing for us to interact with. They tell a story and they help bring the message and break through the noise for the masses, but we have to partner with them together to understand what are, what are the customers that we help the best? Like, what are we uniquely positioned better than anybody else in the market to go after? And from that regard, I think, it's like the chicken or the egg, right? If you deliver in an amazing way for your customers, of course, sales will naturally follow. But you also have to get that chance. You have to get that first foot in the door. And that never happens without sales or rarely happens without sales. And, you know, even as we were talking about one of the companies that, you know, I kind of lit up when you mentioned the name, Ural, right? That was a word of mouth sale, but somebody in our company must have been introduced to it at the first interaction at some point where they said, oh, yeah, I'll give this a shot. And so I don't want sales to get a bad rap, but I think that we also have to hold ourselves accountable to say, are we helping our sales partners being you know, a good guidance of what customers should look like so that we don't get bad fit customers? What is it that's really important? And also helping them set the expectations of what do the customers feel like they need versus what's a cool to have, right? So, I mean, definitely from a UX perspective, everybody wants things to happen magically, but what's the lift required for that? And is it really going to make that big of a difference? Well, this is a great segue because you're talking about how people customer success, for example, can help and uh, collaborate with salespeople uh, and, and how that's a good two-way street for, uh, for, for both parties, as well as how customer success people might work with UX people. 
well, let's, that's really something we want to get into at Enterprise Experience. So let's, let's dig a little more deeply there. Um, in your experience, how do UX people and customer success people play or not? <laughs> Is it, does it go well or are they, you know, are there good patterns emerging or has it been uh, full of tension or has it not even really happened yet? I think the tension is definitely there. The, the benefit is that everyone's very driven towards wanting to do something bigger and greater and to create something that everyone can be proud of. The tension comes in when you have conflicting leadership guidance. For example, even starting from a place of understanding that product, right? Let's say that we really need them to fix something that isn't working the way that our customers are using it, but we have product that has to then also work on releasing new features or functions because of what sales promise. And so understanding how all these ties together to find a common place and really sit down. And this goes back almost to the metrics conversation of saying, okay, guys, what are we going to affect this year that will help all of us and the organization the most help our customers the most without getting sidetracked by you know, exciting passion projects. I think it's important to have passion, but we also need to make sure that it's not something that gets created and loved in a vacuum. So that tension comes in when we actually have these conversations and show the common why, the common goals, and start with understanding versus pointing fingers at one another. I think that kind of tension is very toxic to any environment to say, oh, well, I'm not even going to address this with them because they don't care. They just care about, you know, closing a deal and then they throw it over the fence. Or it could be, oh, they don't really care about, you know, how the product is going to be used. They just care that there's some way to get to this functionality. And making those assumptions and not having the conversations to explore the tension, to resolve the tension, I think that's the biggest challenge we're going to have going forward, especially as the pace picks up and the demand picks up. So, you know, it's interesting because the, you know, the conference in some respects is a microcosm of what we just described, at least parts of it are going to be, uh, we anticipate fishbowl sessions where we get a number of people representing different functions mm-hmm. uh, to uh, up on stage together and uh, put them in scenarios where they do some role playing and we explore the tension live. I imagine just, you know, first of all, we have the, the luxury of, of staging those conversations, but in the, in the real world, mm-hmm. do you, you know you have to have the conversations you were just describing. Are you um, finding it difficult for people to have those conversations in the first place? What is, you know, what, is it hard to motivate them to sit down with their peers at other functions and, and actually um, start to, talk and work together it has to be modeled from the top down and i i fully believe that it has to be that's one of the table stakes of leadership is showing your team what it looks like to get outside your own comfort zone and be willing to be vulnerable with another group and sit down and say okay what would you do differently if you were me right so let's say that you know we've got two groups sitting down together but having the option to say, me as a leader, I'm opening myself up for feedback and 
radical candor, right? Just to be open and honest, I'm not going to get defensive. I'm here to listen, to learn, to understand, right? And, and showing that to the team of what that looks like, that then opens it up versus if you're just so maniacally focused on like, okay, let's only review our KPIs. Let's only review where we are with this and not talking about anything else that's happening either before or after in your life cycle with a customer, that's dangerous. And so it starts with showing that you care because that's how you get your team to care. Otherwise they're going to think, well, even if I care, if I bring something to my leader and they don't even look at it for two seconds, what's the point of me going through that exercise? Well, you know, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I was brought into a large Silicon Valley um, a services company, financial services, and, and asked to put together a multifunction uh, retreat. And uh, it was very nicely designed, but, uh, and, and people RSVP'd and they were coming. And then the day or two before, two thirds of them said, I, I got too much going on in my own you mm. know, domain. I can't come. And so it just fell apart. Uh, and we didn't have that sort of senior level, I'm showing up, so the rest of you better show up. Right. Um, I, you know, I hope that over time, you know, organizations that do try to have this, these cross-functional conversations are getting to the point where they don't need the senior leader there. Like they, they do, yeah. the training wheels can come off, but what, once that does happen, once you, whether you have the senior leadership there or it's, they're not needed, but the conversations do come together, they do take place. What are the, 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 the challenges of making those conversations productive. Do you need a, a radical candor style protocol in place? Uh, do you need <laughs> rules? Do you need empathy? Do you need someone to facilitate with background X versus background Y? I think uh, an impartial third party is always good to have in the room, right? To, to guide the conversation if it feels like it's going too far off a certain path. But it's almost like the folks who figure this out first are going to get a head start. It's the same way that I view diversity and inclusion, right? Some people look at it as a check mark of like, I think I need to do this. So let me just do the bare minimum so that I can pass and get this grade and, you know, get my funding or whatever, or get enough people to come to my conference, you know, what have you, because that's also in its early phases. But the folks who really understand it, it's, it's a 360 of what whatever you're looking at can be it's getting those different perspectives and we all come in with our own rose-colored glasses and you know if you're a small company or a large company you always will have blind spots if you don't invite people to the table the way that we work with our customers we will most certainly have blind spots if we don't understand how this was designed with some other customers in mind we're not serving ourselves by thinking that we've got all the answers without at least picking our heads up to ask and look around. Oh, that's a, a, a totally fair and reasonable answer. And I guess it was too much for me to hope there was a silver bullet. <laughs> uh, we're going to have a, a cross-functional strategy meeting. Uh, it'll be successful because uh, we're going to, we're going to play the trust game. <laughs> trust is, trust is built in drops, right? They always say trust is built in drops and lost in buckets. It's the long game. You have to invest in it. Well, that, I love that. And um, I want to promise everyone that uh, if you do come to Enterprise Experience uh, in San Francisco this June, 
um, uh, Ellie and I will not make you play the trust game. We won't do that. <laughs> we have some, some other great ideas in store. Um, hopefully this gives you a taste of the kind of issues that we're really trying to address with this conference. I mean, sometimes I think we should just like rename it burning down silos or, or something like that. But that's not because <laughs> we don't want to get rid of silos. And, and we just want people to work together in ways that they, they don't right now so well. Um, Ellie, um, one more question for you before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love to know if, uh, on behalf of our listeners, if there's a just a great book you've been reading or an article or a person who's been really inspiring that the rest of us should know about. Yes. So there is a book that, and I love to read, and part of the love is driven by curiosity again. And just, it's almost like you get to sit down with somebody you wouldn't otherwise meet. And so the book that I've been kind of obsessed with is James Clear's Atomic Habits. And as somebody who's very goal oriented and milestones oriented, I, I just love the way that he looks at it instead of focusing so much on the milestones, which are important. But one of the nuggets I'll share with, with you and your listeners is that idea of trajectory and how trajectory is even more important than the specific goal you've hit, right? Because the goal achieving something, that's all almost just like a flash. And then pretty soon it's like, what's going to happen now? Are you going to continue up with your trajectory or are you, going, are you now on the downhill slope, right? So um, I would encourage folks to check out Atomic Habits. I'm sure if you Google about it, you'll find some videos, at least a synopsis to see if it's something for you. But I've, I've gotten a lot of value out of it. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the website uh, right now, jamesclear.com slash atomic dash habits. Oh, well, you can just go to jamesclear.com and, and, and you'll find it right away, I'm sure. It uh, looks very interesting. Thanks for, uh, for tagging that book. And thank you for joining us today, Ellie. It's been a pleasure to have you. Likewise. And I'm excited for the work we have ahead to make enterprise experience really something worthwhile for folks. Oh, gosh, yes. We have plenty of work, but it's going to be really good. <laughs> A little scared, but in a good way, only in a good way. In any case, uh, great to have you, uh, Ellie Wu, uh, who is uh, a customer success, uh, uh, I don't know, I guess you're, I know your title is senior director, but uh, maybe Maven, Guru, (laughs) SAP, and uh, uh, one of the movers and shakers at uh, TEDx Seattle. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you in San Francisco. Thank you. Very excited. 